On this episode of The Playbook, I have the incredible Marianne Williamson, presidential candidate, New York Times, best-selling author, political activist, and spiritual thought leader. We're going to talk about her new podcast and Substack, Transform. But more importantly, we're going to talk about the best political platform and life platform, Kindness. Join me for all this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have the incredible, I've been waiting forever for this, Marianne Williamson. She is, of course, a New York Times bestselling author multiple times, a political activist, presidential candidate, and a spiritual thought leader, uh, and also a mentor of mine from afar, as many people are. Welcome to The Playbook, Marianne. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. You know, I've been waiting to ask one question because I've been able to reconcile these disparate uh, life experiences of my own uh, with religion and spirituality and business. And, you know, it's been a journey to say the least. And you've added an ingredient that I just am so puzzled how you can reconcile spirituality, religion, and politics. And I was hoping that we could start uh, before even talking about your wonderful podcast and the sub uh, stack that you have called Transform. I was hoping you could help me with the reconciliation between those three of how we can reconcile politics with spirituality and religion. Well, spirituality is the path of the heart. Spirituality is the core universal value that is at the heart of all the great religious teachings. And it's not a separate category from the rest of life. A lot of people say, well, here are my relationships and here's my health and wellness and here's my career and here's money. And then over here is spirituality somewhere. But the path of the heart can't be seen as just a separate category of life. It's the underpinning. It's the foundation for your house. The foundation underlies every room in the house. So when the path of the heart is our foundation for living, you don't even have to call it spirituality. You can call it ethics. You can call it character. You can call it integrity. Too many of these values that have just been gradually peripheralized in our society. When I was growing up, uh, it, you would have been considered, um, it would have been considered unseemly to say that making money should be kept separate from doing the right thing. When I was growing up, it would have been considered unseemly to suggest that economic policies or our domestic policies or our foreign policies shouldn't take into consideration the values of a people, the values of our nation. So it is aberrational in American history that we see a deeper discussion of our purpose in being human beings. The fact that that has become so separate from politics is the aberration. What do you think the founding of this country was? All men are created equal. God gave all men inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That is a spiritual and moral value, not just a political step forward. That's why it was so revolutionary on the planet. What was abolition except a statement that all human beings are created equal? I mean, these are moral spiritual values that have always been in the heart at the heart of, of, um, uh, of, our, of, our, of our country's being, that America has values. And that is what is such a challenge today is how many people 
recognize policies, both domestic and foreign, that do not represent American values. Now, the separation of church and state, it's very important for us to recognize this. This is one of the most enlightened aspects of, of our constitution, but it was not uh, put in place and established by our founders to suppress the religious conversation. It was to protect the religious conversation. Not only does it mean that no minister or priest or rabbi or imam can walk into the halls of the, of the Congress and say, you can't pass this law, you have to pass another law in order to align with the dictates of our religion. That's not gonna happen here. Like it happens, let's say in a, a country like Iran, the Ayatollah can override, right? That's not gonna happen here. But it also means that if we're at an AA meeting, a Course in Miracles meeting, a church, a synagogue, a mosque, or an, uh, an atheist meeting, by the way, because it's also protection, freedom of religion means also the protection not to worship if you don't want to, or to worship however you want. If you're at one of those meetings, the police aren't gonna come in and say, break it up. So our founders were, were never intending to sideline the religious conversation, except from the actual functioning of the government. And when you talk about spirituality and politics, you're not telling the government what it has to do. You're speaking as a citizen about the values that are so important and without which, or in the absence of which, our, our policies actually degrade the spirit and the meaning and the values of this country. One of the biggest values is the United States of America. And it was quite apparent during the election uh, that this separate scarce energy has pervaded our country uh, and even the world and obviously social media that can be manipulated as well as segregated into a spectrum community where we are isolated with only certain information in our reality or our perspective, which I always say our perspectives are our, uh, our co-piloted life, uh, that it becomes very difficult to even have a conversation about United it becomes very difficult because the reality of the perception has been so segregated and programmed. Uh, and I could see in the election itself that, you know, sometimes when you spoke, it just resonated with me. And, you know, I'm like, right on girl, go. And Thank yet you. the people around me were looking at me going, are you kidding me? You know, this guy is the guy and I'm, and we're so separate in our beliefs and the information and, and the truth. Um, what do we need to do as you know you are a leader in our country to bring back the open-mindedness to share religion and to share <laughs> ideas so that we can create a symbiotic relationship to appreciate the differences instead of be so afraid of them with a country justice with an individual life justice with a business you have to have a mission statement the United States has a mission statement. That's what our Declaration of Independence is. And we need to revisit our first principles. That's what our President John Adams said, that he hoped every July 4th, we would revisit our first principles. For one of our first principles is out of many, one. In a free society, you don't all have to agree. That's the point of a free society. We see things differently. But until recently, it was understood that there were certain principles on which we agreed to agree. And that is our first principles, that all men are created equal, religious freedom, out of many one, that the government's job is to balance a protection of individual liberty with a concern for the common good. Now, when I was growing up, as President Eisenhower, who was a Republican president, said, 
the American mind at its best is both liberal and conservative. When I was growing up, there were Republicans in my family, there were Democrats in my family. There were high-minded conservative principles and high-minded liberal principles. And they were kind of a yin and a yang and a dance we did, but what we were all agreed on were certain basic values. Now, I'm not saying there have never been racists in this country. I mean, that there was ever a time when we had no racists in this country, where we ever had no anti-Semites, where we had no homophobes, where we had no bigots, where we had no xenophobes. Such people have always existed in this country. But until fairly recently, there was a general consensus that they were fringe, that to hate was un-American. To want to shut someone else up because they don't agree with you was un-American. That the idea that certain people uh, were seen as the enemies just because they did not agree with you politically, that was understood as as, um, un-American. And Republicans saw that and Democrats saw that. And no one could imagine that people existing on those hate-filled fringes would be given a serious megaphone by any either political party. We thought we had achieved that. What has happened in the last few years, partly because of social media where anybody can have a platform and also because we, there has been a very powerful political leader who has not been above harnessing those forces for his own political purposes. We now have a situation where those who represent genuinely un-American values of hate, of the limitation of, of, of freedom, of the, the aspersions onto our political opponents, like their enemies, are now operationalized and um, are gaining political power in a way that when I was a child would not have been deemed possible. This is critical. It's now critical whether you're on the right or the left whether you're a Democrat, whether Republican, both major political parties have so allowed the principled core of who they are to erode that people who represent American decency and dignity and the principles of our Declaration of Independence, whether they identify as Republicans, Democrats, right-wing, left-wing, center or independent, come home to the truth in our hearts and, and just step back and take a deep breath and each and every one of us will be guided to the part we can play in, in returning to honorable debate, honorable discussion, not just with those with whom we agree, but also with ho- those with whom we do not agree so that those who represent hate-filled fringes will no longer get the oxygen that they now get. Yeah, I say amen to that. And the, I have a mission in, in my life to empower over a billion people to be happy, to create abundance, to help people and have fun. Uh, keeping things very simple, you've created this wonderful podcast and a Substack called Transform. What's your mission uh, for that great content that you're putting out? Do you have a specific mission in mind? Well, I, much like you and anyone else who is doing a podcast, I want to contribute to a conversation that takes us higher. That's what all of us are doing, whether we're doing it in the area of business, we're doing the area of motivation, spirituality, politics. We obviously, in the ways that you and I are talking about here today, we, we have gone off course in this country. And I think we, we get that. You know, it's something interesting that you talked about how divided we are. But this is really significant. 
if you look at the actual issues, we're not divided. The vast majority of people agree on economic issues. The vast majority of people agree on, um, uh, on many of the issues about healthcare, things that you'd, you'd be surprised. We're, we're not as divided as media and political establishment would make it appear that we are for their own purposes and their own power games and their own clicks and their own fundraising. Um, we, we have to recognize the ways in which we've gone off course. We've just like, what is that? And what I hope to do with my Substack, marianwilliamson.substack.com, is I hope that every day I'm presenting some nugget of an idea, some insight, just like you're doing. That's what you hope for your podcast. You hope that somebody hears something, right? It's like when you write a book. You're, you're a writer as well, I know. You just, what do we do it for? We do it in the hopes that somebody's going to have an aha moment. Somebody, because you know, it's so fitting when you're writing, nobody else is in the room. At least when you're podcasting, you know somebody's out there. And you hope that somebody has an aha moment. I've had a lot of experience. I've had failures and successes. I've had ups and I've had downs. But I think that all of them have informed me in ways that, I just want to put out there in whatever way I can, something that might be a useful uh, contribution to the conversation that so many of us are having. And part of that conversation is a simple value of kindness. Uh, and it seems to be dissipating, dissolving in places because of the rhetoric uh, that we're putting energy towards. And I'm a you know big fan of what we pay attention to and give intention to create these coincidences uh, or the mathematical equation of luck that I like to call it. And I think some people thought I was absolutely insane when they were talking politics with me. I said, it doesn't matter the policy of, of the president to me because I want my children to value kindness and I'm going to choose the kindest person. Uh, because overall, politics in, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I went to school around you at Occidental College and studied political science and realized the complexity and variables of what exists in politics. I think that the stronger, the bigger values that you talk about are the most important because decisions will be made off of those. And kindness seems to be a much better place. Where does kindness, the simple idea of being kind fit in today with all the different content that you put out as well as your campaign and you know, just your overall mission and vision of what we should be doing. Where does kindness play a role? Well, I agree with what you said, that it is numero uno. Both the left and the right in America uh, have been infected by a mean spirit. There's a mean spirit in the land and, and both sides of the political spectrum need to look at that. You know, the nonviolent political philosophy espoused by Martin Luther, espoused first by Mahatma Gandhi, then brought to the United States for application to the civil rights movement by Martin Luther King. Core to that is the belief that there is a light, an inner light or love within every man, woman or and child, which can be harnessed for political as well as personal purposes. Now, we are used to saying, well, it doesn't matter if I'm mean, doesn't matter if I'm angry, doesn't matter if if the way I did this lacked integrity or character or kindness, it, the end justifies the means. What Gandhi and Dr. King and all of nonviolent philosophy says is the end is inherent in the means. So when people say, yeah, he's mean, he's rude, but I like his policies, angry people will not produce peace on earth. 
the character of a person, not that we're expecting our leaders to be saints or that we're expecting each other to be saints, but you can tell when a person is trying their best to have some character and integrity and fair play here. And when people do not respect those things. I mean, even Adam Smith, the main articulator of American capitalism said free market capitalism cannot exist outside an ethical context. We've got to get back to this ethics, character, kindness, fair play. I don't care how many laws you have. It, it, not, it, it all falls apart when we stop caring about what kind of people we are and trying to be the people that I think the God of our understanding would have us be. I agree tremendously with that. I have shifted my own paradigm and perspective over the years to, I used to try to go get healthy, go get happy, go get wealthy, go get worthy. And when I realized through a quote of yours, which was actually in a movie called Coach Carter, which you may or may not have seen, I'm a sports person. So uh, I probably watched it 10 times. Uh, but the idea that I am these things, what am I doing to interfere with it? And you know, I believe this was your quote of our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate, but our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. I get choked up saying it because I think more people have to shift their own perspective of what they are so that they can give what they are. And I study the Course in Miracles every day for the last six years, missed a few days, uh, which taught me an even bigger lesson because it's so meaningful. But how powerful are we and why are people so afraid of our own power? Well, from a metaphysical perspective, the ego mind is the belief that we are separate from one another. And if I if, take a line from The Course in Miracles that says you are like waves in the ocean that think you are separate from uh, other waves. Now, a wave cannot separate itself from other waves. But imagine the psychology of a wave that thinks of itself as separate from other waves. If I think of myself as one little wave in the ocean, and that's all I am, how could I not live in constant terror that I will be obliterated by another bigger wave at any time? How can I not live in constant terror that the rest of the ocean will overwhelm me and I will no longer exist? So if I'm tied to the belief that I'm separate, the idea that I'm not separate feels to me like annihilation. On the other hand, if I realize, hey, I'm the ocean, then I realize how powerful I am and the ocean moves, I move, I move, the ocean moves. So to the ego mind, it is terrifying the idea that I'm the whole ocean. To the spirit, it's like, would you get with the program and realize you're the whole ocean and all that power is already yours? But to the ego mind, no, don't surrender to that notion of your enormity. Because why? Because then the ego dies. And because we are identified with that false belief, the idea of giving up that false belief feels more frightening to us than holding on to the perverse comfort zone of constant misery, anxiety, and self-loathing that is the hallmark of its existence. Last point, you know, through your Substack and the podcast, uh, not only is it transformative, but it's transcoding. Uh, I think as I went through my own transformation, one of the more difficult things is I studied physics, quantum physics and metaphysics and studied the Course in Miracles and surrounded myself with extraordinary world thought leaders like Deepak and Sadhguru and Canfield and Asaroff and all, all of the people that are mentoring me 
I then separated myself in a vibrational sense that it's not what I say, it was what people were hearing from me. And it's taken me about 16 years uh, to be able to transcode some very highly complex, higher frequency types of ideas so that people can hear me. I stopped trying to get people to listen to me, but have them listen and figure out what they're listening for. Uh, I know even uh, to the extent that my audience uh, is segregated or a spectrum audience still because some of the things I say are too woo-woo, as they will say, or they'll be you know, too, uh, too uh, difficult to understand at the level that I explain it at. What are some of the things people can do to transcode these wonderful high vibrational ideas that do unite us, but sometimes those are so full of power and light that they scare people that may not understand what we're trying to say or communicate. You teach best by demonstration. People hear you on the level that you speak from. I often say, I'm not trying to get a message out. I'm trying to get a message in. What matters is not that I preach ideas, but that I try my best on any given day to live them. People can see what you're trying to live. And I've noticed that in my career. People aren't expecting you to be perfect, but they can tell when you're trying your best. And when you, and, it, and it's not just what you say, it's where you speak from. And, and also just on a behavioral level, um, I remember earlier in my career where I would, you know, people wouldn't like something I said. And I remember saying to a very close friend of mine, what did I say wrong? What did I say wrong? And he said, it's not what you said. It's how you said it. It lacked respect for the person you were talking to. It was the tone. You, the, you know, I, it, it taken me a long time to really integrate the realization that I am responsible for my effect. Yeah. It, and as you were saying, it's how we speak. It's who everything we do is infused with the consciousness with which we do it. You can be going into the most high level, financially significant business meeting. If you, before you walk into the room, take a moment, just like, you know, you've talked about sports so much. So we all know that the coach often will tell the athlete, see the move before you, you make it. Before you go into that business meeting, just take a moment and in your own way, send love to everybody who's gonna be in that meeting. Bless everybody who's gonna be in that meeting that puts you in a place where you are aligned with that within you, which is one with that which is with them. You'll have not only a more pleasant meeting, you'll probably have a more financially abundant meeting as well. And that takes us full circle. Love and spirituality doesn't mean sacrifice in the world. The irony is when you live from a place that you know more is going on here than just the material realm, it actually makes you more effective within the material realm. Uh, being a better person isn't a life of sacrifice. It's a life of greater abundance. Absolutely. I call it a, a life of investment. I don't even consider sacrifice. We're just investing in ourselves by That's being right. kind and having uh, uh, the right ideas and surrounding ourselves with the right people. And you certainly have the, done that uh, for all of us by sharing your wisdom, your experience and ideas. I highly suggest people to check out Transform, the podcast and the Substack. It's marionwilliamson.substack.com. You are an incredible, you got my vote. That's all I got to say. So Thank run you. again. I, uh, I will put my money and my mind and my heart and soul in prayers with you. You're an incredible soul. And I appreciate everything that you're doing for all of us. 
But I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.